And, well, good morning. Uh, before we uh, start the message, I wanted to uh, just give you an opportunity once again, you know, for 10 years we've enjoyed meeting and greeting and uh, it's taken various forms over the years. So uh, in this current situation, the way we do meet and greet is we give you a chance to just kind of stay where you are, but turn around and wave and say good morning and hello and then uh, you guys can do that. Just meet and greet and then... Uh, Isaac, once again, is on the camera, and he's going to pan to all of you, so you can say hello to everyone out in live stream land and do our meet and greet that way. There we are. All right. Well, good morning. It is is just a beautiful day, right? Aren't we spoiled a bit? Just a wee bit spoiled here, you know? When we uh, knew that we had to come outside, first thing I did was I looked at the weather, my app, and I tried to look as far out as I could for every Sunday through December and into January. And, you know, God has been so good and gracious to us. Um, And uh, people say, what if it rains? Well, we're going to figure that out. Or what if it's 30 degrees? We're going to figure that out. But we'll take 70 any day. So uh, as Bill said at the beginning, it's Christmas week. And so this morning I wanted to uh, kind of pause a little bit on our study through Ephesians. And we're, we're going to look at the Christmas story. We're going to look at the Christmas story. And, and my prayer uh, for all of us here and all of you uh, joining us live stream, or if you're listening to this later in the day or sometime during the week, uh, I really believe that looking at the details of the birth of Christ, specific, uh, specifically through Luke chapter 2, uh, can have a profound impact on you and on me, uh, even as I've studied, uh, specifically in light of the current situation on this planet, in this country, maybe the current challenges you're facing in your own life. Um, But I'm going to warn you and I'm going to encourage you not to check out. See, uh, you know, when it comes cyclically in the church calendar year, there's Christmas and there's Easter. And, you know, as pastors, we gear up for it. And, you know, we, we say, okay, how are we going to do it this year? And, and I, I know it's a challenge, especially if you've been to church uh, for any length of time. You know, oh it's, oh, it's, oh, it's the Christmas story. Oh, you know, and yeah, I know. I've been doing that. I, I was in plays. I did BBS and, you know, all this kind of stuff. You know, I did the Christmas plays. I did all the musicals. Yeah, like that Christmas story. In fact, you know, we just saw them, we just saw them right there, right? And, and it's, here's, here's my encouragement and really my challenge, again, for you here and for those of you who, who are joining us uh, via the technology. Do not check out. Because I believe that when we look at the birth of Jesus biblically, especially in light of the pandemic and in light of the political situation that we are are facing and will be facing into the new year. Luke chapter two can radically change your life right now before you even leave here. If you understand really what's going on doctrinally and theologically uh, through it. And it's interesting because uh, I don't know if you remember in the fall, uh, maybe those of you who stay up on current events, uh, there was a bit of a controversy regarding uh, the traditional show uh, that's, you know, Charlie Brown Christmas. I don't know if you knew about this in the fall, about October. A big controversy because for the first time in years, years and years and years, it was not going to be shown on network TV because another company uh, had purchased the rights and they were going to stream it. 
And so there was a big uproar through fall and petitions were, were created and, and eventually an agreement was made between the new owner of the rights and PBS. And so last Sunday, PBS ran it for free, right? And uh, how many of you, quick show of hands, and you can raise your hand at, at home as well. Uh, Charlie Brown Christmas, like tradition, staple, right? Right. And so we understand the, the uproar, right? What? You can't ha- not have Charlie Brown Christmas, right? And if you're familiar with, with the, uh, the clip, right, the, the famous clip, right, Charlie Brown towards the end says, is there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about, right? And good old Linus, Linus with his blankie, right? He says, sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And he goes out on stage and he gets dark in the spotlight and he recites Luke 2, 8 through 14, right? And then he walks off and he goes, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown, right? And everyone goes, oh, so good, so good, right? Well, this morning, we're, we're going to walk through the verses leading up to what Linus shared. Um, because again, sometimes uh, the challenge is not just familiarity. Uh, the challenge with Christmas is commercialism. challenge with Christmas is it's become so secular, right? Uh, the challenge with Christmas is that it's good for the kids. The challenge with Christmas is that it's some of us, if you're really honest, is it myth? Is it legend? Is it fairy tale? Believe it or not, some people still struggle, are not fully convinced that Jesus Christ was actually born as a human being. There's still some people who resist the historicity of Jesus' actual birth. So don't take it for granted. Okay, don't take it for granted. I ask you to, to even now, just quietly in your heart, say, Lord, speak fresh to my heart about the birth of Jesus and, and, and what it means for me on December 20th, 2020, in the middle of a pandemic, meeting outside, in the middle of a political trans, uh, transition coming up in a few weeks here. Is it really that important? Is it really that important to me as I sit here, right? And so we're going to look through, we're just going to walk through it portion at a time in Luke chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. It says this, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Caesar Augustus ruled the Roman Empire from 27 BC to about 14 AD, okay? And he ruled in what was called Pax Romana. If you're a history buff, you know it was, it was the peace of Rome. Rome ruled and dominated the world from Western Europe to deep in the Middle East. And so there was Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And what happened in that was there was an extensive road system, right? They, they had what's called soft borders between the countries because it was all under Roman rule. So people were moving, pretty fluid. There was a lot of communication, people, a lot of transportation. And, and what happened was Pax Romana set the stage for the spread of the gospel. Historically, what happened was the Roman rule created this environment where people could travel and converse and communicate and laid the foundation for the gospel to be spread very quickly and very widespread, okay? So what happens is there's a decree, right? The passage is a decree went out, right? And it's very interesting, again, coming back to present tense 
a decree goes out from Rome, 1,500 miles away from Jerusalem. It's a, it's a requirement. The government says you have to do something. The government said, right? No choice, mandatory. No choice, mandatory. And it's interesting because when it says that all the world should be registered, just so you understand, it, what that means is it doesn't mean like the, the global earth. When, when they said that in those times, what they meant by all the world was basically everything dominated by Rome. Everything dominated by Rome is the only thing that mattered. That was all the world. So this decree goes out that everywhere dominated under Roman rule, you have to do something. You have to do something. You have to go register. And what was the purpose of the registration? Military and tax purposes. Military and tax purposes. And so people had to act. No choice. Mandatory. You have to go back to your ancestral hometown. Okay? So can you imagine this? It took a while. They said, you know, the, the census and this registration actually would have taken possibly a few years because of communication. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have satellite TV. So they had to send messengers out from Rome. Right? Can you imagine the messenger gets to Nazareth? Hey, decree from Caesar Augustus. We're taking the census. You all have to register. You have to go back to your ancestral hometown. Pretty sure a lot of people said what a lot of people have said in our current culture. We have to what? We have to what? But what about my job? What about my job? And we're, this is uprooting us. How are we supposed to do that? How are we supposed to... What? This, who, who does Caesar Augustus think he is? And the crazy thing is, I was sharing this with the leadership team earlier. Some said, yeah, there's no recall. They weren't going to try to recall Caesar Augustus, right? <laughs> it wasn't an option. <laughs> wasn't an option back in that day, right? You have to do it, right? And I could just imagine Joseph. Okay, so now we're going to, let's, let's look at biblical story. Joseph, Mary is supernaturally with, you know, with child. We have to what? We have to what? In Luke 2, 4 and 5 says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So Joseph says, okay, wait, I'm of the lineage of King David. David's from Bethlehem. Honey, Pack your bags. We got to take a trip. Now, again, because of tradition and whatever you see in Christmas cards, right? You know, Mary and Joseph with the donkey. We don't know if there was a donkey, right? We, we, we may not realize what this actually meant. So little helps here. There's a map, and I wanted to just kind of say there's an arrow. So Nazareth is right here. Bethlehem's down there. On average, if you research it, that's 80 miles. 80 miles. And let me contextualize for, for us here in Ojai. That's a decree coming to us in Ojai and says, Cindy, you need to walk to Redondo Beach. Or you, Ojaians, you need to walk to Palmdale. Or you need to walk up to San Luis Obispo. 
That's what we're talking about. 80 to 90 miles. You got to go. No ifs, you're going. And it's not the 101 paved, you know, you're not calling Uber. You're not carpooling. You're packing your stuff. And this is kind of what the wilderness looked like. That. If you've not been to Israel, it is wilderness. And, and for those here, look at that mountain. That's like, okay, Cindy, you and Candy, if you want to take Candy with you to Redondo, yeah. okay. pack it up. <laughs> Just head that way over those mountains, right? Or, or Matt, pack up the family, start walking to Palmdale, bro. Figure out where you're going to sleep. Watch, for, watch out for bandits. You know, it's going to be dirty and messy and you got to figure out food along the way. 80 to 90 mile mandatory journey for Mary and Joseph. I'm guessing they might have grumbled a little bit along with all the other millions. Remember, this went out to the whole, the whole region, the whole country, millions of people uprooted, millions of people moving Because the government, because Caesar Augustus says this decree. How many of you today and how many of you at home can relate to probably how they were feeling? Anyone in current current situation? You you could relate to a little bit of angst, a little bit of resistance, a little bit of, I don't want to. Huh? Right? This is real world. This is is what was going on in in these times, right? Sometimes, again, we we candy coat the birth of Jesus. Oh, there was a decree. And then magically they end up in Bethlehem. No. (laughs) For the ladies here, we're not sure exactly how far along Mary was in her pregnancy. But how many ladies here now see this 80-mile journey pregnant a little differently? Have you seen the picture? Have you... Right? Right? And how many of you men who have cared for your women and your wives when they have been with child, how many know that that would have been a bit of a journey, caring for your pregnant wife, walking or maybe riding an animal for 80 miles in the wilderness? Right? This is what's going on. Right? Bethlehem, if you didn't know, it really means house of bread. Bethlehem. House of bread. And it's really cool because in John 6.35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. So God in his supernatural way sends Mary and Joseph down to Bethlehem to give birth to the bread of life. Right? The house of bread gives birth to the bread of life. And here's here's an amazing thing too that maybe we don't uh, really celebrate. Them going to Bethlehem was absolutely necessary because of a prophecy given 700 years earlier in Micah 5.2. Okay? So in Matthew 2, you remember the, uh, the wise men show up, right? And here's a story in Matthew 2. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And then they quote Micah 5, 2. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Now, just think about what's going on here. There's a prophecy in the Old Testament. Mary and Joseph are living in Nazareth. Mary was told that she would be given birth to the Savior of the world. But that's supposed to, he's supposed to come from Bethlehem. How's that going to happen? How's that prophecy going to be fulfilled when they're 80 miles north in Nazareth? Just think about it. Step out of the picture and look big picture. Was it the decree from Caesar Augustus of all people that God used to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem? Warren Wiersbe says this, Augustus Caesar was ruling, but God was in charge. Amen? Amen. For he used Caesar's edict to move Mary and Joseph 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem to fulfill his word. Rome took a census every 14 years for both military and tax purposes, and each Jewish male had to return to the city of his fathers to record his name, occupation, property, and family. I love that. Augustus Caesar was ruling, but God was in charge. How many of you need to be reminded of that this morning? Isn't that a great truth? God is in charge. God is in charge. And this whole, as you go through this with me and you go through this and maybe you read it again this week, I'm praying one of the things my heart for you and for you at home that as you celebrate the birth of Jesus, that it's just a great reminder. God is in charge. There's a lot moving in this country. There's a lot moving in this world. But underneath it all, God is in charge. God is in charge, right? So Luke 2, verse 6 through 7 says this. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Okay, very important, very familiar passage. It's very... (laughs) There's a lot of conjecture and a lot of tradition that goes into this particular part. And, and just be very careful that, that you, you understand what the Bible says and doesn't say when it comes to this passage. Because, you know, it says, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Again, we already discussed, we don't know how long they were there before she gave birth. Okay, a lot of people assume, well, she was really close. She might have been there for two or three months. We don't know. Okay? And people are like, really? That's not what... I thought it was like there was no room at the end. She went to the stable and had it all in the same night. <laughs> right? right? You're like, I don't know what happens in 30 minutes on TV. I guess, you know. This is real world. This is breaking out of the traditions and the things that we just accept blindly without question. And this is why you have to walk through this slowly because as you do that, God can speak and bring just a bigger, deeper meaning behind it all, right? So, you know, it's interesting also because according to Roman law, only Joseph was required to go. So there's a lot, there's thoughts about, well, why why did Mary go? Maybe just wanted to be with him. Maybe, to, maybe there was scandal and gossip in Nazareth about her supernatural conception and Joseph wanted to get her out of there, right? Kind of interesting, interesting, you know? And I share this with you just so you can kind of, again, engage with the text. Think about it, live it, right? Okay, the, the inn being full, of course, now you understand why the inn would be full. There's millions of people moving around. Because of the, the, the decree, 
They're all moving. Okay. And then it says here, she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Okay. The manger. Many of you know that the manger is what? A feeding trough. It's a feeding trough. Okay. Now, in that part of the world, many scholars actually believe that this feeding trough was in a cave and the trough for food was carved out of the rock. There's a lot of people because of the cultural context actually believe that Jesus might have been born in a cave and placed on the side of this rock feeding trough. And you're like, but wait a sec, at the Y, it's an A-frame. <laughs> and it's a, it's a wooden thing with hay. And there's animals, and the, and the wise men are already there. How many have a nativity scene at home with the wise men right there? And you're assuming like they were there the day of the birth, right? Again, culturally, all, it's, all the Bible says is she gave birth to her firstborn son. We don't actually know biblically where she gave birth. We don't. All we know that after she gave birth, she laid him in a manger, which was a feed trough. That's all, that's, that's all we know. Okay? We don't even know if, if Joseph had help. Okay? It, it, it's amazing because, again, the Christmas cards, the why, it's like really clean and sanitary, isn't it? Okay, if, let's assume it was an A-frame and animals were there. We don't even know if animals were there. Or let's go more cultural that it was a cave. Okay, I wonder what that smelled like. I wonder what that sounded like. I wonder how dirty it was. Ladies who have experienced this in a clean, sterile hospital environment, does this change it for you a little bit? Right? Gentlemen? who didn't have to do anything because the doctor came in at the right time. Does this change it if you were the guy? Remember, yeah, the catcher, right? Remember, Mary and Joseph were young. They were young. Some think Mary was like in her teens when this all happened. So they're in this place. We don't know where. It's dirty, smelly, messy, and they give birth to who? The savior of the world. The savior of the world is born in that environment. And, and then in Luke 2, 8 through 11 says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you what? Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Do not miss this. It's, it's inconvenient. They were forced to do this 80-mile trek. When she gives birth, it's probably not, not the most pleasant environment, right? And then the angel supernaturally appears to the shepherd and says, I bring you good news of great joy. Isn't that what we need today? Don't, isn't that what we need? Maybe you need to be reminded of the good news and great joy. Because when I, when I keep up on current events and I see what's happening, 
Man, oh man. It's brutal out there right now. There is so much depression and so much anger and so much angst. I'm not seeing a lot of people celebrating good news, great joy. And this is where we, as the church, get to be vessels to bring that. But we've got to come to this place where we celebrate in the, in the midst of these pretty negative and, you know, horrible conditions, governmental decrees, you know, overcrowding, no place in the inn. We're, you know, in the midst of all these circumstances, God fulfills his plan. In the midst of all these circumstances in my life and in your life, everything we're facing globally, nationally, whatever, the heart of this message is that God is in charge. God is in charge. Now, if you want to talk doctrinal or theological, two things. God is sovereign and God's providence. God's sovereignty and God's providence. You probably never thought of that in light of these verses. I want you to think about this real quick. What is God's sovereignty? You can define it like this. God's sovereignty means he is Lord over creation. He has the power, wisdom, and authority to do anything he chooses within his creation. He's sovereign. God is God. Amen? He's on the throne. Now, we get that all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, but many of us may not be familiar with God's providence because that's just as apparent in the birth of Jesus. God's providence, right? Here's the definition by Don Stewart. The providence of God refers to God making all the events of the physical and moral universe fulfill his original design. He designs all things and guides events according to his perfect purpose. Both great things and small things are under his care. There are no exceptions. How many of you love God's providence when you think about it in your terms of your own life? He is constantly working everything according to his purpose. You gotta, you gotta sit and you gotta think about this. So God is sovereign and God is provident in my life. There is nothing in my life as a believer, as a child of God, that is outside of his care. How many of you love that truth? But how many of you look at circumstances and go, God, where are you? Hello, 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 right? Anybody, right? Anyone ever had those moments? Right? And you're like, uh, God, still there? Just checking, right? The story of the birth of Jesus really can profoundly impact my life and your life if you, if you just spend time thinking about the sovereignty of God and the providence of God right? Psalm 145, 13, for your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. You know what the God's sovereignty and God's providence means? There's no such thing as luck. There's no chance and there's no fate. Some of us need to just chew on that. There's no luck. You lucky. You're so lucky. I guess it was just fate. Oh, just chance. God's sovereignty and God's providence eliminates all of that. Amen? We're not victims. We're not victims. You 
gotta, you gotta let the Christmas story, the truth of this, penetrate. Right? Rich Cather says this, God knows how God knows how to get you, I'm sorry, God knows how to get you where you need to be. He used the pagan ruler of the world to move Joseph and Mary. There are times when we wonder why things are forcing us to go in directions that are uncomfortable. It wasn't a great time for Mary to be traveling, yet perhaps God might be at work to get us where we need to be. Amen? See, they needed to be in Bethlehem because of Micah 5 too. And there was a lot of upheaval, a lot of inconvenience, a lot of angst in getting them where they needed to be. Sometimes in my life, in your life, God's providence moves us where he knows we need to be. Let me, let me say that again. Sometimes in your life, in my life, God works the circumstances, allows things to happen to get us where he knows we need to be for his purpose for us. Amen? Amen. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. And, and here's the great promise, familiar verse. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those he, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Do you see God's sovereignty and God's providence? For those who love God, all things work together for? You got to chew on that verse. Everything in your life that God allows, according to this verse, his sovereignty and his providence says it's for your good, ultimately. Yeah. I mean, at the one hand, you're like, wow. And then the other hand, you're like, wow. (laughs) Think about that. Because of your new covenant relationship with father, everything in your life, he will work for your good ultimately. Nothing is wasted and nothing's like, oh golly, how did that happen? I'm sorry. He doesn't, he's in total control all the time. See, many of us, many of our challenges in life is because we're trying to control it. And we're trying to avoid worst case scenarios. And, uh, and, and we, get, we get all so wound up and we're all tense and we're anxious and we're fearful and we're worried. And God's like, rest and trust me. Trust me. Everything in your life, I will work for your good ultimately. Most of us get in trouble because we take the reins rather than resting, right? I love this quote by William MacDonald. Sometimes when we are suffering heartbreak, tragedy, disappointment, frustration, and bereavement, we wonder what good can come out of it. But the following verse, 829, gives the answer. Whatever God permits to come into our lives is designed to conform us to the image of his son. When we see this, it takes the question mark out of our prayers. Our lives are not controlled by impersonal forces such as chance, luck, or fate, but by our wonderful personal Lord who is too loving to be unkind and too wise to err. Amen? That's the heartbeat of this Christmas story, guys. That's where you look back and God's moving Mary and Joseph around to fulfill this prophecy. I mean, he uses Caesar Augustus of all people. 
He uses this worldwide decree and uproots a whole bunch of people to get Mary and Joseph where he needs them to be for his plan. And in my life and in your life, maybe in the last nine months, God has had to uproot you and do some things in your life spiritually. And it's been painful and uncomfortable and inconvenient. But how many of you, how many of you, honestly, as, as you're sitting here, as you're listening, how many of you on December 20th would say, God, thank you for where I am today. Thank you for this nine-month trek. It hasn't been 80 miles. It's been nine months. But by golly, I believe, God, you use this for my good, and I am actually at a much better place. Who would say that today? Right? You're living God's sovereignty and God's providence. Is that worth the name, man? I hope you will just celebrate this Christmas story. That's your, this morning you're being gifted with going, oh my gosh, <laughs> really? See, what he's doing in your life and my life isn't much different than what he did with Mary and Joseph. He got them. He was moving things according to his plan and purpose, his sovereignty, his providence to get them where he, he, they needed to be, just like he does in your life and my life. He is constantly caring and loving and accomplishing his will and purpose for you and me all the time, all the time, right? It's mind-blowing, mind-blowing. Psalm 100, verse five, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 31, but I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. I love that. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. And here's the crazy thing. Nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. No pandemic, no political situation, nothing. Right? Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or pandemic or political transition, Right? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Nothing separates us from the love of Father. It's mind-blowing. He is sovereign. He exerts his providence. And he's constantly loving us. Constantly. I I mean, this is one of those ones where we just need to stop and we need to say, okay, I got to chew on this. You know, you got to take the time this Christmas week. Reread the story, put yourself in the story, go, oh my gosh. So much more here than tradition. There's a reality of the Christmas story that transcends all this time and plants in your life and my life into December 20th, 2020. Same God. Same God. Still doing things according to his plan and purpose for his children. Same God, right? And so this morning, if you're a, if you're a child of God, if you're a believer, okay, what do we do with this? 
take time. Take time today, take time the rest of this week. Really reflect on and meditate on the sovereignty, the providence, the love of God. Because a lot of us have been caught up in the circumstances. A lot of us have been caught up with how I think or how I feel about what's going on. And we're, we're in bondage. A lot of us are still angry. A lot of us are still opining online. A lot of us are still debating, you know, you know what we, who we really believe. A lot of us are still caught up in the circumstances of this whole world issue. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm not saying you shouldn't be educated. But what I am saying as a believer, spend more time this way. Let the birth of Jesus and all the details that we walk through break the bondage and the yoke and the oppression that you've been under. Right? Because of a governmental decree. <laughs> and flip it and go, wait, that, government, that governmental decree was used by God to get Mary and Joseph where they needed to be to fulfill the plan for Jesus to come and save the world. So maybe again, as a child of God, you reframe it. You reframe the last nine months. You reframe where you're at today. You reframe how you're looking into 2021 in light of God's sovereignty, providence, and love. Amen? And maybe you'll go into the future with a sense of good news with great joy. Because my dad is in charge. I don't care who's in the White House. My dad's in charge. My dad's in charge. I mean, we have to settle this issue. This, this, this life-changing, like transformative, transformative. But a lot of us, a lot of the church has gotten caught up in it. And I understand that. God understands that too. He does. But now you can choose. Now I'm hoping that you've been empowered this morning to simply choose where you can focus. Choose the good news with great joy. You can choose to celebrate the good news of God's sovereignty, God's providence, and God's love for you. Choose it. Choose it. Because he's in charge. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our father is on the throne, working all things for our good. That crazy. Everything in your life and in my life, he will somehow work for the good, even if it doesn't feel good at the moment. How many of you just like have to wrap your mind around that for a while? Like, cause I don't know about you. Cause I spend most of my time trying to avoid pain <laughs> and tribulation. You know, I, I've, I've spent a lot of time, effort and years trying to avoid all the stuff because I really was like, Lord, I, is it possible that you can work this for the good? This, this is painful. I don't like this. And then I come back to God's sovereignty, God's providence, and God's love. He's like, yeah, trust me. Trust me. And maybe this Christmas, maybe through this Christmas story this morning, God just wants to remind you he's trustworthy. Trust him. We don't know what's going to happen in the new year. We don't, right? Things seem to change from day to day. Latest person that says this, and we're like this, how many of you sometimes feel like you're just like ping pong, pong right? My latest leader, and you're like, oh, and one day you're good. Then you turn on the news and some of the story change. You're like, oh, right? And you're just, oh, 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 right? Some people turn off the news. They're like, I'm tired of it, right? Let's just choose where we're going to put our focus and our energies. God's sovereignty, 
God's providence, God's love. He is working everything for our good all the time. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the profound and powerful truth of the Christmas story, the history, which is really his story, your story. Thank you. And it's not myth, it's not fable, it's not just tradition, it's truth. Thank you for reminding us at the core of it all that you are in charge. You are sovereign. You're working your providence. And nothing will ever separate us from your love. Thank you that based on Romans 8, 28, all things work for our good as your children. All things, without exception. You will ultimately work for our good to be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus for your glory. And so before we take communion, Father, we just want to pause. And if we've been caught up in the things of the world, if we've been caught up in circumstance, if we've been caught up in opinion and disagreement, anger, rebellion, caught up in how much we don't like what's happening, Father, we just want to pause right now, confess it all, admit it, and then turn our attention to you. Turn our attention to Jesus' birth as the Savior of the world. Turn our attention to who we are in Christ. Our names are written in the book of life. We are children of God. So, Father, as we prepare for communion now, we uh, just reflect. We celebrate the good news with great joy. You are sovereign. You are working all things for our good all the time. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.